India is a rapidly changing place. It is an amazing nation to live in. It's a very crowded nation of 1.2 billion people, if you want to have an idea about that. Take everybody in your family, multiply them times four, and make everybody live in the same bedroom. It's a little crowded in India, and there are people everywhere. The community that was over my shoulder at Pastor Koshi Baby's place and is, a, is an amazing location where God has taken this family and embedded them inside this community for the strict purpose of planting churches among the urban poor and among the people throughout the, north, uh, the northern tier of India. When we come to a service like this, my greatest desire is that God would take all of us to another level in our faith and understanding of what God can do for us. If I were to take you and stand on the roof of Pastor Koshi's church, which is where we were at that moment, and tell you the stories of government people coming to his doorstep, wanting to literally chain the doors of his home, which was also his church at the time, but him looking at them and saying, you can chain, you can chain the door, but we're going to go right down the street and we're going to keep doing what we're going to be doing. That takes an enormous amount of faith in God that he can do what he says he can do. He's mighty to do exactly what he says he can do. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is in 1 Samuel chapter 14. If you'll take your Bibles and open them quickly to 1 Samuel chapter 14. And I'm just going to read one verse. 1 Samuel chapter 14. The story is about two young boys in an army. But the two young boys were named Jonathan and the other kid's name we don't even know. The Bible calls him his armor bearer. The kid that was assigned to take care of him. And there was a battle to be waged. And Jonathan said, let's go over to the camp of the Philistines. Maybe God will show up on our behalf. And at that time, there were only two swords in the whole army because they had given their swords away to be sharpened. Do you know who had all the swords? The Philistines did. They were the blacksmiths. So get this now, the enemy had their swords. Think of that. Just give, give your enemy your sword and say, please give it back, we're going to kill you with it. That makes a lot of sense. Two swords in the whole army. The king Saul had one. His son Jonathan had another one. And yet Jonathan says with great faith in his heart, let's go over there to the camp of the Philistines. Maybe God will show up on our behalf. And some of my favorite lines in the whole Bible is verse 7. His young armor bearer looks at him and he said, do whatever is in your heart. I am with you, heart and soul. That is my prayer that you would have for your leaders here for the vision of the church, that you would wrap your arms around it and say, whatever is in your heart, we will do that heart and soul. It was a joy to stand on that rooftop with Pastor Koshi Baby and say, whatever is in your heart, I am with you, heart and soul. Because see, in India, there's only so, far, so many places that I can go as a foreigner. There are certain places that I cannot go and certain places that I should not go because simply by the tone of my skin, it causes the gospel more harm than good. And so there are often times that our job is to come around our amazing Indian leaders and provide training and resource materials that says, we'll train you, we'll help train your leaders and send them to the farthest place in your nation. Most recently, back in January, I was up in the northeast corner of India. If you don't know the geography of India, it's a very interesting nation. It kind of looks like an ice cream cone down at the very bottom, but it's separated on the other side 
way up near the China border, and bordered by Burma on one side and Bangladesh on the other side. So it's really an isolated area, but still very much tribal. And I was up there ministering at a general council, preaching in one of their services, and afterwards I met one of their young leaders. And he came up to me, and he was very excited about taking some of the, the, the materials provided by the video that you just saw called Global University. And ICOM, by the way, stands for India College of Ministry. We're partnering with our Indian church to plant. Now listen to this number. Partnering with the church to plant 25,000 house churches throughout the nation of India. We've set a deadline before the year 2020 that we're going to raise up over 30,000 leaders to plant 25,000 house churches. And so I was up in northeast India speaking at this conference, and a young man came up to me. And you have to understand the, 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 physical, uh, just the, the physical makeup of the people in India is very different from north to south to east. Northeastern people have very much an Asian, uh, an Asian look to them because they're, they're from China, they're from Burma, they're from Nepal, they're from Bhutan. And so they're up there in the corner of India. An amazingly beautiful people, this young man came up to me. And he said, Pastor, I want to tell you what I'm doing up on the China border. This guy lived about a mile from the China border. And as he sat there and told me what God was doing, I said this. I said, oh, Gigum, that was his name. Gigum, I'd love to come and see you up on the China border. And he smiled really big, and he said, sir, that would be wonderful if you would come and see me. But please don't. He said, because the moment a foreigner steps into my town, it causes me a lot of trouble. He said, people ask questions. He said, they don't know why they're there. They assume that you're giving me money. And when I don't give the money to the poor people, the poor people hate me. And he said, so just don't come. And he said these words that just really ring in my ears as to what my role is, our role is with our Indian brothers and sisters in difficult to reach places. He said these words. He said, you train me and I can go do the work. And that's what the India College of Ministry is all about, is taking ministry tools and placing it into the hands of people who can go to places where I could not go and where I really, where I should not go and help those leaders to do the work that God has called them to do. Carla and I most recently have lived in Rajasthan, India, which is on the northwestern corner bordering uh, Pakistan on the western side. Uh, it's a nice, uh, cool place like it is here in, in Michigan. It's about 120 in the summertime for about six months in a row. It's pretty warm, and uh, so a lot of times we, uh, we find other activities to do in the middle of the day, and we, we're busy in the morning, and we're busy in the evening, but the heat of the sun is pretty intense during the summer months. In the one state of Rajasthan where we live, there were over 56 million people that lived there. How many live in Michigan? A few. <laughs> How many? 1.4 million people. In West Michigan. All right, very good. We could put 1.4 of Western Michigan in a corner of New Delhi, the capital city. New Delhi has 22 million people just in the city of New Delhi. So it's a fairly uh, intense place to live. But in Rajasthan, on the western side of the state, less than like 0.01 people call themselves born-again believers. So there was a lot to do when we went to live there. And God began to do some amazing things with partnerships with our Indian friends. And as we began to live there, God began to give us a deep, deep burden for people that, w that wanted to reach their own uh, people, but the enemy would come against them. I remember a story of one of our pastors. His name was Ashok. Ashok lived about two hours from where we lived in Jaipur, Rajasthan. And Ashok gave us a call one day and sent a text message to our leader on his phone and 
and he said, please pray for my family. What had happened is a radical Hindu group had come and they had kidnapped this man's niece. They had taken her and they said, sir, if you don't leave the town, we're going to harm this niece. And so he sent a text message out, please pray for us. We don't know what to do. We began to pray. We sent emails to our, our people that would pray around the nation. People began to pray. And within 24 hours, God moved in a supernatural realm that you and I cannot see with our eyes. He moved in that supernatural realm, and they received a phone call from that same group, and they said, Pastor, we don't understand, but we've taken your niece, and we've left her on the street corner. You can go to that street corner, and you can pick her up. She's fine. She's okay. God literally intervened on the life of that little child. And we celebrate the protection of God over children in India. But that's not the end of that story. Because the pastor came, or the, excuse me, the police came to this pastor, and they said, Pastor Ashok, um, this is a very powerful group of people. And we don't know if we can protect you any longer from this group. The next time they come, they might kidnap someone else in your family, and they might not be as nice this time. Would you please, for our sake, just leave the city? We know you're Christians. That's okay. You're, you're perfectly legal to be here. We have, you have a church, but just take your church and move it out of the city so we're not responsible for your protection. And Pastor Ashok looked right back at that police superintendent, and he said, Sir, thank you for your concern for my family. He said, But my Jesus has protected my family one time, and Jesus can protect us as long as he needs to. We are staying right here to do the work that God has called us to do. Incredible faith from people, from men and women of God in India that want to do his work. And to this day, nothing else has happened to their family, and they've got over 200 people that come to their church now inside that city of, of, of Ketri where this, this pastor is, is working. God is doing supernatural things across India, and my response is, how can I help the church do that? How can I help Pastor Ashok take his leaders and train them and send them out to other places? There's another pastor that we served with. His name was Samuti. Samuti's story is quite an amazing story because earlier in his life, his wife was demon-possessed, so much so that she would go into fits in their house and she would scream and she would yell and the neighbors would hear him and wonder what in the world is going on. He had taken his wife to all the different Hindu gurus, and all the different Muslim imams in the area, and nothing would change for his wife. And one day, get this, a Catholic priest was walking along the side of the road, going from one village to another village, just passing by. And as this priest began to walk down the road, he heard the cries of this young lady. He walked off the side of the road. He went into the house, and this young man with tears streaming down his eyes said, Can you help me with my wife? There's nothing I can do. This young Catholic priest goes in there. He lays his hands on that young lady, and God heals her of all of her demon possession. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's one of those things where you stand back and go, God, you are mighty to do anything you want to in any situation in people's lives. And I would tell you, I don't know what you're dealing with, and I'm not finished with my sermon yet, so don't go anywhere. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know the family dynamics that you're dealing with. But I know he was desperate to see something happen in the life of his wife. And God intervened in a situation that he thought was 
hopeless. There is nothing hopeless when God gets involved with it. Nothing hopeless. So God delivers this young lady from demon possession. This young man looks at this Catholic priest and he says, I want to dedicate my life to this one who has rescued my wife. What can I do? And through a number of divine relationships, that young man, whose wife was prayed for by a Catholic priest, wound up in our Pentecostal Bible college in Jaipur, India. He stayed at the Bible college. He received his training, and the pastor said to him, the leader of the Bible college said, Samuti, if you want, you can stay here in the city and go across town and open up a nice church, and the church can support your family nice and do the work here of the ministry. And he said, no, pastor, I can't do that. I've got to go back to my village. Because there's so many people there that don't know about Jesus. They don't know about what I've experienced. And so as he went back to his village, the same thing that God did for his wife, he began to pray for people. And God began to use him in the miraculous. And people were being delivered. Alcoholics were being delivered from alcoholism. And God was beginning to put together a beautiful body of believers that would meet inside of his home because they had had nowhere else to worship. People began to tell lies about this pastor in the city. That he was a sorcerer and that he was controlling the minds of these people through games and through magic. And so the police came to him, took him out of his home, and put him in jail. He began to share his faith with people in jail. People in jail began to follow the Lord. They didn't like that a whole lot, so they kicked him out of jail. That's nice to be kicked out of jail, right? Amen. So they sent him back to his home. And the same police that began to, that captured, that, that took him away the first time and took him to jail, they would come back to him secretly when nobody else would know about it, and they would say, Pastor, can you please pray for my family? I've got this uncle over here, and he's a drunk. Can you pray for my uncle? Sure, I can pray for your uncle. He would go and pray for that uncle. That uncle would be delivered and start coming to church. Can you pray for my marriage? My marriage is falling apart. He would pray for this marriage. These people would begin coming to his house for church on Sunday morning. God would begin to restore marriages. And so now the same police officers that would come and put him in jail earlier, they were standing guard at his front door, making sure nobody was going to come and touch this man. Because God had given this man a supernatural authority inside of his village. And it was a joy. It was an amazing joy to go be, be, be with him in his village. It was, oh, it's 15 hours away from where we live. 13 hours by overnight train, uh, two more hours by Jeep out in the middle of the desert somewhere in a city called Dungapur. And as we drove up to this event that we were going to with this pastor, to see over 150 people that were sitting out in the hot blazing sun just waiting for us to arrive because we were coming to dedicate the church building that a church in America had built for them right next door to his house. He had given the land to the church and said, just build a piece of property, just build a church right here for me. And as we began to minister to those people, God began to see, to show in us what he can do in a far-off remote village when God does his mighty work to save people. And now that young man, Samuti, has a church planting vision to take his church and multiply it throughout all the regions and where it's too far for people to come to church, he's going to plant a church in that village and in this village. And we're taking this material and putting it into his hands and helping him to train all of these leaders throughout the area. God is doing amazing things throughout India. And my question to me and my question to you is, how can we get on board with that? How can I help these guys do what God has called them to do? India is a rapidly, rapidly changing nation. 
It's a nation that says up until 1947, they were ruled by the British. And India has only been its own nation for just less than 100 years. So to see what's going on in the nation is absolutely amazing. Generally, every year when Forbes will release their list of million, or excuse me, billionaires, India will add five billionaires to the list. When I first got to India and I was surrounded by poor people, I thought in my mind, ah, oh, this whole nation is poor. What's going on here? And as I began to live in the nation, I realized that, no, this is not a poor nation. This is a nation that has poor people. But this is a wealthy nation that God wants to do something absolutely miraculous in this nation. And when I have a, an opportunity to be a part of, what we have an opportunity to be a part of, is a church planting vision so big that as we've unrolled this and we've, we've talked to other guys in movements around the world, they say that this church planting vision of 25,000 churches over the next few years to the year 2020 is, could very possibly be the biggest and the most widely impacting church planting effort ever in history, possibly touching up to 600,000 villages in India. It's big. It is enormous. And I'm asking myself every day, how is it that I can come alongside of them and help them plant the church where there is no church? We received a report some time ago from a young man who was just beginning his pioneering work in a very, very difficult region of India. And as, he, as we began to, to circulate this material to him that we're producing, he looked at this and he said, wow, this is the stuff that I've been wanting for because right now in my place, I cannot build a church. It's too dangerous. The moment I put a building up, it's a target. And he said, so we have people in our church. We have 15 people that come to our church. When we get to 16 people, we go over here in this other neighborhood and we start a church over here. And when they get to 16 people, we go over here to start another church. This young man has started five churches out of his own church in an atmosphere, in a, in, a, in, a, in a way that they want to multiply the churches around the nation. Now, here's one thing he said, and I really got a kick out of this, which is, was a different thought in India. He said, most of the leaders that want to be trained are ladies. And I said, that is a fascinating move from in India that's a very patriarchal society led by men for generations and generations for the women to be raising their hand and says, train me because I can train other people. And one of my responsibilities uh, with helping leaders around the world, I was most recently in the nation of Armenia. Now, Armenia, if you don't know where it is geographically, you can find Turkey on the map. That's a little bit easier. But find Turkey and just go just to the east of it. And Armenia is sitting right there. But I was sitting in meetings with three Pentecostal unions of leaders who were coming together to form the first Pentecostal Bible College to train leaders to go throughout the area. And he looked, at the, he looked at me and he said these words, which were astounding words to someone who comes from a, from a, a nation that has been a missionary-sending nation for generations. He said this. He said, you know, Pastor, he said, the Muslim world is open to Americas, Americans about that wide. He said, mostly because they don't trust you. He said, but the Muslim world is open this wide to us Armenians. He said, because we look like them, we live among them. 
He said, in the nations where they are, we live there, and we can own churches, we can, we can build buildings, because we're ethnic minorities in their nation. He said, if you would come here and help us train our young men, we will send our young men and our young ladies throughout these Muslim nations to infiltrate the ranks of their people where they are and bring the gospel into some of the, some of the very darkest places on the earth. And if you look at Armenia as a nation that is surrounded by Muslim nations, and they're calling this nation a, a lighthouse in a sea of Islam. 99% of the nations surrounding this one nation are Islamic. And they're asking us, if you'll come inside and you'll teach us, we'll send us young men. And then one of the senior pastors in the church where we were ministering there, he said, one of the keys to reaching into the Islamic world is the mothers. He said, it may be a male-dominated society. He said, but the mothers are the ones who teach the spiritual values to the children. And he said, if we can get our ladies to interact with the Muslim ladies around these nations, he said, we feel like we can change the face of Islam by touching the ladies in their movement. And so I'm anticipating seeing a massive move of ladies, Armenian ladies, being trained through this material to be going into all these different nations and impacting these ladies to hear about what Jesus wants to do in their lives. God wants to do amazing things far above and beyond what you and I have ever imagined. Ben, I was so encouraged by, <clears throat> by, your, by your words the other day. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can tell a pastor loves his people by how he talks about them. From the airport yesterday until we arrived here at his house and we pulled into the garage, Ben was telling me all of the stories of what God is doing through your lives throughout the last number of years. The beautiful things. The amazing things. And as I come into the room, what Carla said was so very true. As you come into the room, we as missionaries who do travel oftentimes from church to church to church on weekends and sharing vision and sharing goals, you can tell in a second about the heartbeat of the church by how it feels in the room and by the, the attitude of the pastor towards the people. Ben and Jessica love you guys. They really do. And I can tell that by how they talk about you. And what God has been doing through you over the last number of years that you guys have been together as a pastoral team and leadership team and, and wider body of believers, that I believe that God is setting you up for something bigger than what you even realize. I really do. Because there's momentum that God is beginning to build into this place. And I'm not telling you this because I'm leading you towards an offering at the end. I'm not motivated towards that. I motivated that because I want to see what God wants to do through you and in you to affect not only this region of western Michigan, but the entire world. Because in the world of world missions and evangelizing the entire world, there's only two kind of people that exist. Those that go and those that send. And the two cannot work separate from each other. And so the applause that you gave us here earlier in the day, and while it was it was greatly appreciated. It was very humbling. Because we realized that, that, that the church has that expectation of the missionary, but honestly, the missionary has the expectation of the church. That when you leave here, we're going to hand you our prayer cards. And if you do nothing for us, pray for us. Because in the darkest of the night, your money cannot help me but your prayers can. 
When our children come into our bedroom after we had been living there for, in India for about two weeks, about ten years ago, we were living there and our son comes running into our bedroom and he flops down on the bed. He's 12 years old when we moved to India. His face is swollen from crying and his, his tears are running down his cheek. And I knew exactly what he was I knew exactly what was going on. He realized that we weren't on vacation anymore. <laughs> and we were staying. And when that reality hits, it's a sobering moment. And in that moment, an offering is wonderful. But man, the prayers of God's people mean everything in the world. And when we know that the church of Jesus Christ has the missionary field and has the, those, our, our national Indian friends covered in prayer, God can do mighty things through people in America that are praying. They are believing God for the miraculous. As I close this morning, there's one story that I want to leave with you. It's about a family here in America. Some time ago, there was a family uh, that was sitting in a service much like you are here today in Texas. And this family had been doing everything they knew how to become pregnant, to have children. They had not been able to. They had gone to see many doctors, and this procedure didn't work. That didn't work. Everything they had tried didn't work. And so they were desperately wanting children, and so they said that, They'll begin to save money and they'll adopt a kid. And so you know that the adoption process is quite expensive here in America, well around the world. So they were beginning month by month to put back money into their savings account and hopefully be able to have all the fees in order to adopt a child. And as they were sitting in church one Sunday morning, the minister that was there sharing about the needs of the church in India to build a church in a very remote area. And in the middle of the service, God pricked the husband's heart and said, we need to give all of that money, all that savings, to that church plant in India. He spoke to his wife after church and, and uh, on the way home, and she, she said, honey, I'm glad that God spoke to you, but he hasn't spoken to me. And so as they're riding along, he said, can we just pray about it? And she said, yeah. So for a few weeks, they just prayed about it. said, God, if you want us to do this, you're going to have to unite our hearts together. We're not going to do this separately. And so after two weeks, she comes to him and she says, you know, I think you're right. I think God wants to give us, it's telling us to give this money away to help build that church in India. That must have been a tough decision. Because they knew at that moment that they were being just like Abraham. And they were taking that kid, the young boy, the young girl, and they were laying that child on the altar. And they were saying, God, if we take our hands off, this is not ours, this is yours. So as they walked into that pastor's office, they laid that check down on, on his desk, and he took that check, and it made its way through the avenues, it made its way out to us, and it made its way out to the church plant where it was being built, and, and it helped to build that church. In Pilani, India. So I go to that pastor one day. And I, uh, I was back in India in December uh, for a short trip. And so I went, I went there and I, I met him at an event. And he came running up to me. He gave me a big hug. A big hug and, and he said, Pastor, thank you so much for helping us to build our building. He said, but not only now do we have a church of our own. He said, but we've also planted two, two, two more churches. 
out of the church because that family in America helped us to build our church. And that alone would be amazing enough. But I stand here to tell you that shortly after all of that took place, God blessed this family, and they were able to conceive. And now they have two children of their very own. Because they heard from God. And they believed that God wanted them to do something that was well beyond their rational thinking. And that's what I'm asking God to do for all of us today, is to go far and above, whether that's through our time that we commit into the ministries of this church, whether it's through maybe we go overseas. We need people overseas that have a, a testimony of Jesus in their lives. Some people will look at me and go, no, I'm, I'm too old. My, my, my journey has, has been over. I'm finished. I'd love to have a whole team of, of people 65 and older that I could take to India with me that have gray hair or no hair. Because it's a sign that you've made it and that your God is still with you. I'd love to take you with me and put you in my suitcase and let you sit around the table with first-generation Bible college students who don't come from Christian backgrounds and let you just tell the stories of your faith. I'd love to have some of you go with me sometime to India just to love on our Indian young leaders and just to whisper in their ears, whatever is in your heart, I am with you, heart and soul. Let's pray. Father, I love you today. I thank you for the divine moment that you've given us here. And I ask in Jesus' name that everybody here in this room would have that spirit of that young armor bearer that would say, Church, Jesus, whatever's in your heart for us to do, we will do it, heart and soul, that our faith would rise to meet yours and you would accomplish what you want to accomplish through us in this area of the country. I pray your blessing over this church, that you would bless them and keep them that your face would shine on them and bless their lives in Jesus' name. Amen.